this. This is uh, um, Sunday, <clears throat> Sunday afternoon in the afternoon after Martin got done. We're standing around visiting for a long time. Once again, the holster shut it down. I think you guys were there for quite a long time too, though. So, uh, but we were all vis visiting with different people. And, uh, and uh, Lewis's wife is talking there. And she comes up and she says, she asked me, um, she's using that, these little sheets that I passed out, some basics, just some basic things about who we are in Christ. And I guess she was using that with some girls, if I understand right. Young life yeah. Yes, with the Young Life girls. And then she asked me, she goes, why don't you see this very often? She goes, you don't hardly ever hear anybody teach about who we are in Christ. You don't see this in popular books or anything like that. She goes, it just, this was my initial answer. It is such a foundational, such a crucial truth to the Christian faith. I can understand why Satan within the world system manipulates believers into avoiding that. So he gets us looking in the Bible at other stuff. That It's not that it's bad stuff to look. He just doesn't want you to sit on it. And I recognize what she says. Every, every once in a while you have, you'll have somebody call or text you and they go, oh, I just heard somebody on the radio. Who listens to radio anymore? But you know what I mean. Uh, on a podcast or something. And they were talking about our position in Christ. And then you go and you listen. You're going, oh, this is good. And they do mention hmm, a couple things about it. And you're like, all right. But then you listen to everything else they say, and none of the rest of it really is consistent with that idea. So it's like something that some people, I think they see there's something maybe of value, something of importance, but they don't realize how important it is. So they just kind of hit it in passing and move on to other stuff. So I went into my office the other day, and I pulled out Lewis Chafer's Salvation Book, which you can still acquire. I think Kriegel push, publishes it. I don't think you can get it as a PDF online because I think it still has some copyrights on it. But uh, that, has, that has the thing in there. What is it? 33 Riches of Divine Grace, I think is what that is. It, and that's, it's more than your position in Christ. But it has a lot of your position in Christ plus a lot of other things a lot of Christians don't really understand and appreciate. I showed that to her and I said, look at that. There's 33 of those. That's for somebody not like Tim or Jim or Josh. That's 33 Bible studies. For us, it's like five years of Bible study. <laughs> but no, seriously. I mean, it's he's got a really good outline of a lot of different things. And it, it gives you places to start working, to start going through scriptures and looking at those topics. So I was just trying to show her that there are people that wrote this. This is, I always tell you, I didn't ever hear about my position in Christ growing up. But this book actually tells, tells me that I did hear about it. But again, I think my pastor didn't realize how important it was. This is Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth by C.I. Schofield. This was published back in like initially, um, this does not have a date on it. I was thinking it had a date, but like uh, 1910, I think it was. This is a long time ago because he, he passed away in 1921. Uh, and um, we used this, our pastor bought one of these for our youth group. See, so this is the kind of pastor I had. We, we all had these things. And we, were, we went through stuff, this kind of stuff all the time. But we used it to go through some of the other distinctions, the Jew and the Gentile and the Church of God and the distinction of dispensations and such like that. This is, these were the things I, like he came into our church, I'm in sixth or seventh grade, and he's already, he right off the bat has these for our youth group. And we go, notice it says Tim up there with one of those yeah. label makers. Uh, I, that's still from him. But this one, the reason I say all that is because 
in the back of this. And I didn't find this. This is really interesting. I carried this thing around with me when we moved away. I took it to, off to college, but I didn't know this until after <clears throat> I had learned about my position in Christ that it's, I don't think this is the last chapter. It's the second to last chapter. The believer's standing in state. <clears throat> and he goes through what your standing in Christ is and what your state or condition might be right now. And he goes through a lot of different things. And he mixes, he mixes some things in there that we would probably say, no, that, that's not it. But it's like, look at this in Ephesians 1.6. We have all, or Ephesians 1.3, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In 1.6, we're accepted in the beloved. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, that he has quickened us together with Christ. Uh, and he has the passage of scripture, Ephesians 2.13, we've been, we've been made near uh, in Ephesians 1.13, we've been sealed with the Spirit. And with uh, 1 Corinthians 12.13, by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, and so on and so forth. And it's just like, I remember looking through this as a 20-year-old after I'd learned about my position going, look at this. This has been sitting on my bookshelf all this time right here. And this would have sent me on a study of the Word of God to look into these things. You don't stop here. When, when people write stuff, this is to get you into the Word of God. If you stop with the book, you've missed the point. You're supposed to look at the Word of God. I do not have any copies of Miles Stanford's Principles of Spiritual Growth, but if you go online and you order, you find his book, The Green Letters, it's one of the sections in there. But this is the ground of growth that he, that he wrote, and I pulled this one out. See, this was 50 cents at Pilgrim's. I used to get, in the extra, you got it for 15 cents or a quarter, I don't remember. I don't know how many of the blue ones, the principal position I used to get, get them for a quarter, I pass them out. I just gave them to people. Because to me, it was a good, reasonable introduction of who you are in Christ. Because at that time, I didn't know where to send people, you know. I wasn't typing stuff up and making sheets that you could pass out to help people look at the Word of God and actually find that out. But he actually goes through a number of, of good things. This one is not bad. This one, I thought Josh would appreciate this one. Have you ever seen this one by George Guile? See what its title is called? Sonship. Because Josh, I remember a number of years ago, did a paper on sonship. And he does a, he, I, I remembered when Josh did that paper, I was like, oh, he plagiarized. No, he didn't. He did, he was studying the word of God, which is what this guy did. And this guy, this was published in 1917. Um, Bible Institute, Cole Portage Association of Chicago, that became Moody Press and Moody Bible Institute. Uh, in connection with that. But it's a good book that goes through your sonship, and it talks about who you are in Christ as a son, in addition to some other things that it develops. So I just, I pulled these out as I was just thinking through this whole issue about, you know, why don't we hear this enough? And I still think it does go back to the point that if you really, if everybody taught Christians this, I think you'd, more Christians would be exposed to something that's foundational for Christian living. And, um, I think I, I, and I know it's going to sound really horrible, but I really think Satan distracts pastors and Bible teachers with a lot of other stuff and glitzy new books come out by the latest pop speaker. And some of those guys get close. I think I, there was a book I read a couple of years ago because I remember I, I read it one weekend when we were staying down at Emily's uh, on Grace by Andy Stanley, whatever you might think about him because he's got some other issues, I guess. But he actually does kind of trace out some, some things about who we are in Christ in there. Uh, so all of that to say, as we go into our study tonight here in John 16, um, 
that our position, and it's going to be, we're going to look at uh, this this verse. We're going to go to verse uh, 30. Let's go to verse 31 where we were last week because we're going to go into verse 32. We already talked about this. Verse 33 is what I want to look at tonight. But verse 31 of John 16, it says, uh, And Jesus answered them, Now do you believe? And, and I, he, I think he really is still kind of questioning, although, uh, because I, I'm reading in John 17, I know that he says, well, they have believed. He says that to the Father when he's praying. But he kind of throws this out with a question. And the reason for that is, he says, verse 32, look, an hour is coming and has come in which each one of you is going to be scattered to his own things. And you will leave me alone, but I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. In other words, he said, do you really believe? It's going to show when I'm in the garden in just a little while, which none of you guys know about, and you're going to have all these Roman soldiers come out with the temple police to arrest me, and you guys are going to be freaked out, and you're going to be scattered, each to his own things. And by his own things, some people say back, some translations say back to their own houses and such, but I think when it says own things, you, if you go to the end of the Gospel of John, you got Peter going, I'm going fishing again, which doesn't mean, hey, what are we going to do today? Let's go fishing. No, he's going, we're going back to the fishing business. He's going back to their things, which Steve emphasized a lot this weekend that when Jesus preached to the Jews, which is who he was called to, I appreciated how much he emphasized that because that was so important for understanding the distinction in the earthly ministry of Jesus that, that he is preaching to these Jews and he's telling these people that want to, these rich people that want to inherit eternal life, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And what was he promising them? That if you followed me, you will live into the coming age and you'll get eternal life in that coming age, like I'm promising these people. If you don't, there's no guarantee you're going to live into the age. You're going to have to be like everybody else and die and wait till the resurrection. Because I don't think that those people asking those questions, I don't think all of them, I don't think they really were unsaved people. I think they were Old Testament believers. They're like, we're hearing you talk about eternal life. How do I get it? And he's saying, you just got to follow me. But you can't follow me if you're constantly pulling out your cell phone, checking on business back at home, which they didn't have back then. So how did you follow him? You couldn't. You couldn't walk away from your business. You couldn't, couldn't walk away from your wealth. It takes stuff. It takes the management, right? We're just talking about all that around. We're talking about very worldly things around the table at the end. But it takes a lot to manage that. A person that walks, if Josh and Ben and Andrea all decided, oh, we have managers, they'll take care of us. We're going to take a two-year vacation or a year vacation. They'd probably come back and probably the business would be halfway sunk. That'd be my guess. Just because, I mean, you have to oversee the thing that's yours. You really do. And sometimes you do come up with that rare person that can oversee it for you and really takes it seriously. And I'm sure that there are people that work for them. I don't want to, you know, think they don't work seriously. Okay, I'm going to get off on, off on that, off on a tangent with the illustration. I'm just saying that that it, it's rare to, to do that kind of thing. In fact, Jesus even says that in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, what does the servant say? Oh, my, my master delays his coming. So then they start misusing the stuff they're in charge of, and they start abusing their fellow, their fellow slaves and uh, eating and drinking and doing all kinds of crazy stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing. So he says they're going to be scattered back to their own things. Okay. In fact, one of the things I don't, and I might have missed it, I don't remember Steve ever went to that verse. 
at the end of that, after the rich young ruler leaves, what is, Peter says, well, what about us? What about us? And correct me, I, I, I kept wanting to say, Steve, you missed this one, because I really wanted him to hit it, because it just, it just follows exactly what he was saying. What about us? We've given up everything, Peter says. They did. They'd left their business. They'd left their wives. How'd you women like that if your husband's decided, we're going on this, we're following this guy <coughs> because we believe in him? You'd go, what? <laughs> My wife would probably go, what? You're going to leave me to go follow a guy for three years? They didn't know how long it was going to last. And he says, you're going to inherit, and he goes through all this, and you're going to inherit more families, because you're going to stay with a lot of people. It doesn't say you're going to inherit more wives, just more families, uh, more brothers and sisters as you travel and stay with people, more lands as you're traveling and staying with people. And in the age that is coming, you guys get eternal life. And guess what those disciples inherited in the age coming? They inherited eternal life in the day of Pentecost, which Steve went over that several times at this. Really appreciated all that. Anyway. That's what they're happening. They're leaving him, but he makes this one statement at the end, and I don't think we need to sit on this a lot because I think this is, this is uh, pretty self-explanatory, but at the end of verse 32, he says, you will leave me alone, but I'm not alone because the Father's with me. So when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus is arrested, when Jesus stands before the high priest, when Jesus is being nailed to the cross, is the Father with him? Yeah, the Father's with him. The Father's with him going through that, and he knows that. And it gives him the ability in there to endure. It doesn't take away the pain. It's not like the Father sticking his hand out in front of the whip and taking the whipping for the Son, but it, it, it does help. But now you tell me, that statement, what other thing does that, does that statement bring real significance to? Well, when he is, is not with them, when he bears the sin. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Father does separate from the Son, as well as the Spirit, that statement there adds real significance to that because he does experience our separation from God. He experiences that. And I always think that separation from God for him, I don't think anybody would disagree, but I think it had to be worse than our separation because that's all we ever knew. He had had absolute, perfect, full harmony, fellowship with the Father and the Spirit in all eternity. And then even for three hours, it was like, now they're going to be separated. And you think, well, three hours, what's that? It was a big, big deal to a person that had never experienced separation, had never been alone in all eternity. And I think we don't, we don't get that. I don't think we appreciate the interaction that was going on between the Father and the Son and the Spirit all through that earthly ministry. It's going on. Just because it doesn't tell us that he's talking to the Father all the time and that this fellowship and the presence of the Father with him, knowing that the Father's present with him, just because it doesn't articulate it like that all the time doesn't mean it's not there. But we've got three times in the Gospels where for the sake of other people, it is illustrated, such as when he's buried, baptized, sorry, me. when he's baptized, it says what? It says their voice came out of heaven. They saw the spirit descending like a dove upon him. 
and they heard a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That happens towards the end of his earthly ministry also, where it happens uh, in John 12. The first time it says listen to him. Oh, first time it says listen to him. I, so. I don't think so. I think it's in this last one in John 12. Let's go over and look at the one in John 12 since we're right here. Transfiguration. At the transfiguration is one. Um, John chapter 12, and let's see, I'm trying to find my verse right here. I didn't write this one down. Sometimes no matter how hard you study. Does anybody see it there in John 12? What is it you're looking for? It's the statement where the Father speaks in John 12. In verse 49, he says that he said everything that the Father gave him to speak. No, this is actually one where the Father, Father speaks speak. up and everybody else, and it says everybody else said, oh, we, they were thunder. Verse uh, 29. Thank you, thank you. Verse 29. So look at verse, look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Therefore, a voice came out of heaven. I both have gloried and again, I will glorify. Therefore, the crowd that was standing around, they heard this. They said, it thundered. But others were saying, no, an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered, said, this voice was not because of me. It has come because of you. And then he says, now, in other words, this, this was all for you guys to make some sense out of this. He says, I didn't, need, I didn't need to hear this. He knew that this was true. And then at the transfiguration, I think that's the one where, and that's, there's only three of the disciples there, but it doesn't make any difference if it's 10 disciples or 100 disciples or whether it's three. He tells them, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I cried. humiliation and beatings and, and I don't think anybody here has even been beat like that either but you still can you, you have experienced physical pain in your body and so you have an inkling of what it would be like for that physical pain and yet Jesus didn't cry and blubber when that was happening to him he was silent as a sheep before the shearer I mean quiet and yet to see him cry out in agony and at the cross when the father put the sins on him, it puts a gradation on it that you realize how excruciating that must have been for him to be separated from the father when he didn't react to any of the physical suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how you guys are. I don't have, I do not have, in my opinion, a very big tolerance for pain. You know, so to think of him enduring all the stuff that he does coming up to the cross and then actually on the cross physically, I would have been whimpering like a baby on there. Um, you would have heard me yelling and such like that. I, I hope 
hope you don't think less of me because of that. I just don't think I have a, a tolerance for pain. But he, he was silent. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Until, tell, tell the experience of his being cut off, separated from God the Father. That was, that was where the real pain was of what went on on the cross. So, back in John chapter 16, when he says, uh, you're all going to be scattered, but I'm not, but, and you're going to leave me alone, but I am not alone. The Father's with me. That, that all is a lead-up for understanding the significance of what it'll be when he, on the cross, experiences that separation. Does anybody else have anything else to ask or add here? Before we... I was going to just comment off of what Mom was saying. Um, I think that's also part of the judgment on the unsaved at the great white throne is that they're going to be standing before, and for a second, not be separated from God because they're going to be face to face. That's why you have the second death, right? Because now they're separated from you forever. They were born separated, but now they're brought face to face with God for a moment. And now when they're cast into the final form of torment, they're going to have to experience that's that, hey, that person that died for our sins and we stood before that we rejected all those times our whole life. So there's going to be an element of that that's going to go into some of their punishment. Which, which I, I appreciate, mm -hmm. I really appreciate that, because I have, I, I probably have said this at church, I don't think I keep this to myself, but I thought of this a lot. I honestly think whatever else goes on in what's called the lake of fire, I still think the worst part of the punishment is going to have him been before the sun, and then for all eternity, you know, he's the person I didn't want. I was just listening to a guy on the, online today, I was talking with an atheist, or not an atheist, a, a uh, oh, I can't think what he calls him. What? No, no, no. It's a person that kind of believes like everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. But in believing that everybody's okay, he, he challenged this particular, this particular uh, uh, guy, challenged him to say, well, why do you think I have to just believe in Jesus? That doesn't seem very fair. And he went through and he gave his reasoning. He gave his reasoning. I just always think, well, you didn't want him all along. When you're presented with him, you didn't want him. You were like, I don't, I don't need him. So why would you want to be forced to go be with him up there in heaven when, whenever you've been faced with him down here, you're like, I don't want that. I don't need that. <coughs> that wouldn't be any good. But they're good for a brief moment, are going to get to see what it would have been like to have been in his presence. Let's see. But that, and you realize every one, of, every one of us as a believer, we were confronted with who he is. But it's not like he showed up and said, hey, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to be in my presence. <coughs> oh, yeah, I'll take that. We're not confronted with that. It's, for us, it's, it's, it's still it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. We receive him sight unseen. Okay. Another side of it is that here they are standing before him and their works get judged. All the things they thought see those are we had a long conversation with Conrad sitting around the table the other night about that whole thing that Paul Paul points out that the works of every all every unsaved person and this would be true of us and it probably is true of us still at times that all their works are done out of selfish ambition there's always a selfish element in what they're doing number one and number two it's a it's a denial or a disobedience to the truth they're always denying that there is one true and living God I don't want to accept that 
I do not want that. Because if I, if I accept that there's one true and living God, that means I answer to him. And I don't want to answer to that one true and living God. And so they, they disobey the truth that confronts them with who he is. They don't want that. So, and that, that is behind every one of the, their things. And how many times have we used the illustration of the ladies that came when my wife was dealing with, had, had come through surgery and was going through chemo, and those, those ladies brought some nice things. And I would have just said, hey, look, they did a nice thing for you. How nice. Look, at they do nice things too. But I know those verses over there, and those verses that tell me every nice thing that the unsaved do, no matter how nice it is to me, God says that they're actually doing it out of selfish ambition. That's part of their motive. And the other motive is a refusal to accept who he really says he is. They don't want that. So that's, that's not me judging it, because I don't even know their motives. There's no way I can get in their head except that God tells me it there. And by the way, that was, everyone, that'd be, that was all my motives. And sometimes it still is my motives, to be honest. Oh, that dog's huge. <laughs> is that the neighbor's dog? Oh, that's like a small horse. Anyway, I'm sorry. I get distracted by shiny things. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Verse 33 then. Verse 33. These things that I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Now remember, he's laid the background back in chapter 14 and verse 20 that we're going to be in Christ. And he's laid the background that not only am I going to be in Christ, but when you get to chapter 15 and he gives us the illustration of the vine and branches, that there's a way I can relate to this. I can abide in him. I can be at ease in who he says I am in Christ. I can be at ease in that place. I can rest there. We kind of, talk, we kind of talked about that a little bit more last week, but we're not going to break that all open but but when you relate to who you are in Christ when you go there and you're at ease you get to enjoy peace get to enjoy peace I think both of our both the speakers over the weekend we know this you've heard uh, Josh and Jim and, and myself and Ben and others when they we've talked about peace at times peace is that ability to have I, I just think I always think of a calm mind I mean if you want a, a picture of peace in Scripture Think of the disciples, Jesus sleeping in the bow of the boat. There's a storm, and they are so... Think about it. These guys, they're not, they're not a landlubber. They're not me out on the high seas. These are fishermen. They know what it's like to operate in boats. They know what it's probably like to keep fishing when the weather turns a little bit. And so when they come to Jesus and say, Don't you care that we are perishing? They're not idiots exaggerating. They know. They're... Their life is on the line. This dangerous word, the situation they're in. And Jesus gets up and he says, be muzzled. And it comes become peaceful like that. And that's what relating to your position in Christ can do for your mind. The world out there, we're going to see that in just a second here, what it says in the world you're going to have trouble, adversity, pressure. The world out there is constantly bombarding us with all kinds of stuff. How much is an appropriate price to pay for a bottle of wine? <laughs> we're talking, we're talking, I was thinking tonight, we're talking about worldly stuff over there. But seriously, the world bombards us with all kinds of stuff that gets us agitated. You plan a trip, you look at the price of hotels, and you're going, this is crazy, you know? We have, it's just, there's stuff all around us all this time. 
Can anybody tell me how many, how much money people withdrew with their mobile banking apps from Silicon Valley Bank on Monday? Forty-two billion dollars. They sunk that bank. It had a, it had a, it had a one billion dollar negative cash flow as a result of the end of the day. Forty-two billion dollars. People freaked out because of Twitter. And people got on their mobile banking apps and withdrew $42 billion in 24 hours so that the feds had to step in and take control of the city. Anyway, it's the world. It's the world. You know? And for a brief moment, I'm thinking, Peg, you and I need to cash out our bank account and stick it in the mattress. And I'm going, this is stupid. This is stupid. God's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us even if I lose every penny I've got in the bank. You know? Which I always think, you know, I've had people say, well, there's FDIC insurance. Well, that works if you got some banks that go under. What happens if they all go under? <laughs> there's not enough money to insure all those bank accounts anyway. So you just have to, so you're always still, you're still in the same position. You always need to come back to the fact that God's got this. And when the world is bombarding, going, worry, 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 freak out, freak out, run around like Chicken Little, the sky is falling. You can rest in who you are in Christ. Peace. And when he says this, that uh, if the bank that owns your debt goes under, does that mean you're debt free? Yeah. Uh -huh. No, I don't think so. <laughs> hey, Kale. So let's uh, let's take a. Uh, I do want to look at two passages on this idea of peace real quick. I, Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans 5. I'm a, I, 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 you've heard me say this. I think if the Bible says something once, and it's plain. It's not like, well... It says it once, and I read it like this, but Josh reads it like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about reading a very plain statement. In me, you will have peace. That's a pretty plain statement. I'm sure there's a lot of ways people could maybe take it, but it's generally a pretty plain statement. But I still always think it's cool that if something, if God wants it said and he really wants to make a point, he, it will be repeated in other places. So we come to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified or declared righteous from faith, we have peace facing God. When, when do you come facing God? In Christ. In Christ. Yeah, okay, we can just leave it at that. What's one of the things you do sometimes when you come facing God in Christ? Communicate. You communicate. Pray, in popular lingo, but communicate. You communicate with God. So we have peace facing God. In other words, we don't come before God, and God's not up there going... What do you want? You ever been like that with one of your kids? They get in trouble for you, you kind of get after them, and then they come in and you know they want to talk to you about something, but you're like, yeah, we still got an elephant in the room, buddy. You're, any of you ever been like that with your kids? Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never? How? You need, to, you need to write a book on secret of parenting then. No. But he says, we have peace facing God. So when we come, as it were, when we're in the throne room of God, they're coming through our position in Christ to the Father, there's peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's peace we're coming to him. That verse, I always grew up with verse 5.1. It was a 
past tense salvation verse, the war with God is over. But that's not what this is talking about. It's that I have been declared righteous in the past so that right now I am having peace facing God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, and because there's peace through him then, we have perfect tense, meaning I've been given it in the past with the result that I still have this access by faith and we have a preposition, and I, for a long time, I, I always said, into the grace in which we stand. No, we stand in grace. I have grace because of the grace in which I stand. I don't have access because I'm better than Lewis or better than Ben or anything like that. Every one of us has access into his presence because of the grace in which we stand. We're already in it. That's why I always think it's... That's why we're not having access into the grace in which we're standing. We're already standing in it. So how are you having access into something you're already standing in? No, it's because you stand in this grace that you have access to the Father. That's what he's talking about here. Through faith in which we stand and then we boast upon the hope of the glory of God. But here he says we have peace. And this is a practical peace right now when we need to go and talk to God. And I can guarantee every one of us, if it hasn't already been part of your experience, you're going to have some time that you're really going to want to talk to God. But you are going to be convinced in your mind that you've done enough things, maybe that day, maybe just five minutes ago, maybe the whole week, that you are such a disappointment to God that God's just going to cross his arms, tap his fingers, and he's just not going to listen to you. And my daughter's with me tonight, and she can testify did you ever come to your father and your father was so engrossed in something else that he didn't hear you standing right next to me saying, dad, 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 dad. <laughs> yeah, I could just be just totally. But God's not like that with us. We come in there. We come in there and God hears us and we have this peace. We come in this really. So there's a practical application of this peace that we have. And he says here, through Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason he says through rather than in is because, well, here's the Father. I think from your point of view, this is the Father. Here's Christ. We're seated here in Christ. When we come to the Father, we don't just stop in our position of Christ. We come through him. We access the Father who's over here. So that's why. And there's more than one time that Paul talks about our position in Christ, but he speaks it as a through because our position in Christ is like an avenue for us to have access or to come to the Father in one way or another. And so in this, we have peace when we're doing this. So there's, there's one example of this here. Turn to chapter 8. And this is going to really tie it into our position in Christ. Chapter 8, and look at verse 1 here in Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, Now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. For the law or the principle, like law of thermodynamics, law of gravity, something like that. The law or principle of the spirit of our life, where? In Christ, Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So we're relating to our life in Christ. Notice we're not just relating to our death. We've moved beyond our death now to our life that we have in Christ Jesus. We're looking at what, what comes after the death. Well, you're resurrected and you're raised up and you're seated at the Father's right hand. So our life that is in Christ Jesus, it has freed you from the law of the sin, which we'd say the law of the sin nature. And again, that law is not Mosaic law, clearly. It's the law or the principle, like 
like the law of gravity, of, of the sin and of the death, the spiritual death. He says that frees you. The only way for you to experience freedom with regard to your sin nature and the problem of the spiritual death, because you all still have a part of you that's spiritually dead. It's not saved yet. That's not going to happen until Christ shows up. The thing that frees you from that cycle that Paul talks about at the end of chapter 7. I want to do a good thing. My sin nature knows, no, we're going to do this. I don't want to do that. And you end up doing what the sin nature wanted. And then you're going, why? I want to do a good thing. How come I end up doing that? Man, what a knothead. That's knothead. That's being polite in that. So he says, it's no, it's relating to my life. The sin nature shows up and you go, wait a second, I'm dead to you. I am dead to this sin nature, and I am alive to God in Christ. I'm seated at the Father's right hand. I'm free <coughs> from that. That was, again, another, we've talked about that here, but that was a conversation we were having with the Conrads that, you know, you can approach your sin nature two ways in terms of your position in Christ. You can take your position in Christ and go, I'm dead to the sin nature, alive unto God in Christ, because I don't want to do that naughty thing, because that's a naughty thing, and I don't want to be bad, because I don't want God to be mad at me. Just like, you know, do your kids ever do that? Or did you ever do it as a kid? I'm going to do the right thing because I don't want mom and dad to come home and get after me. I want mom and dad to come home and say, oh, okay, good boy. Or you can come to it and say, I don't want to participate in that because I've been freed from that. That is not who I am in Christ anymore. God, you freed me from that. And freedom is better than operating over in slavery, which if you read Romans 6 is exactly what Paul contrasts it to. Slavery to the sin nature or the freedom we have in Christ. So, we have this, this standing. Verse 3, for what was impossible for the law, and I believe now he's talking about the Mosaic law, for what was the inability or the impossibility of the law, in that it was weak because of the flesh. Don't raise your hands, but just raise them inside your mind. How many of you go beyond the posted speed on the highway? I have to confess. I said, I said, no, no. You don't just said, don't raise your hand. I can't keep it in. I do it every Thursday night coming home from, from the Madwell Bible study. Because I get up on the top of that hill and I start heading back east and Peg and I are yakking away or we got the radio boss and we're singing along and I look down and I'm going, I'm doing 80. Whoa. That's, I have no sense how fast I'm going. That's not me. That's the Oh, it's a car. I need an old rattle trap like the old like Jedi the gun, used to drive. The, <laughs> the Jedi, I could feel how fast I was going. This, well, Tim, I think some of us do it intentionally, so yours is a little better. Well, I'm not saying I don't ever do it intentionally. I was just using an example that's unintentional. <laughs> but but here's, here's the point. Why is there speed? What is that speed limit? What is that technically? It's a law. It's a law. And so he says the inability, what is it? It's a suggestion? Is that what you said? It's a number. When he says the inability of the law, it's just like that sign up there. That sign up there says 55 or 60 or 70 or whatever it says. That's a law. But it's, that law is unable to get into my head and force me to set my cruise control right at the speed limit and not exceed that or watch my, you know, constantly watch your, your pedal, whatever you're doing. It can't do that because it's weak, because your flesh is like, I like, I have a need for speed or whatever it is, or I'm late, I need to get there sooner, whatever it is. God, he says, did accomplish it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, 
And concerning sinful flesh, he condemned the sin in the flesh. That, by the way, is why there's no condemnation for us. Because the condemnation fell on the Son. He took our condemnation uh, of the sin nature in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous results of, and I take this back to the law of the Spirit in verse 2, not Mosaic law. I noticed this last week. I was looking. I was working on this first. Every modern translation I have, the NASB, NASB 20, the NIV, the ESV, the CSB, the HCSB, the New Living Translation. I'm trying to think what other ones I had. I was looking at all these. They all say, they all say, the righteous requirements of the law. That's the way they all translate it. Because they think that Paul is talking here about the Mosaic Law, but he's not talking about the Mosaic Law. He's talking about that Law of the Spirit for the righteous results, not the requirements. The Ma ending is not a requirement. The Ma ending indicates a result, a result of righteousness here, of the Law. It has been fulfilled in us, the ones who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've talked about walking. It has to do with the way you live your life. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh. What according to the flesh? Walking according to the flesh. He just said that in the last verse. Okay. Paul expects that his readers can follow an antecedent. Put it together. And he goes, they reflectively think or frame their minds or set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those that are according to the spirit have a frame of mind with regard to the spirit. They reflectively think or set their mind on the things from the Spirit. Okay, so we get this? The Spirit, we've, we've been over this hundreds of times, so it's not like this is the first time we're talking about this. The Spirit comes along and the Spirit directs you to set your mind to, to these things that are true about you in Christ, right? We've been over this many times. And that's how you walk by the Spirit. That's what he's telling you in verses 4 and 5. Now we come to verse 6. And that frame of mind, that not, it's not the word mind, it's that phrenema. It's the result of framing your mind, that framework that you have from the flesh, it's death. You want to move in the realm of death? Just, just frame your mind with whatever the flesh wants you to frame it on. You realize that? Every time you choose to operate in your flesh, you're walking around like a dead man. Okay, that's what you're doing. Then he goes on from there, and he says, but the frame of mind from the spirit... That goes back to, we kind of talked about that in verses 4 and 5, but that would go back up to the life that you have in Christ Jesus in verse 2. That frame of mind from the Spirit is not just death, it's life and it's peace. It's peace. So you look through those works of the flesh that you have over in Galatians chapter 5. And one of the things that is not characteristic about the works of the flesh is they do not bring about or produce peace. They bring about an anxiety. They bring about agitation. They get you worked up. You're worried about this thing or you're worried about that thing or your thing or you're driven. Hey, I did that, but I need to do more. And I, this thing, but I didn't get enough. And I, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, well, I beat that argument, but I got to go take Josh down in another argument tomorrow and on and on. This is the way your flesh is. Drunkenness, one off would be enough. You go out and get drunk once, ugh, horrible. Nope, oh, I'm going to do that again, and again, and again. This is what the flesh is. There's no peace. There's no peace it brings. But when you relate to who you are in Christ, that frame of mind, your life in Christ Jesus from verse 2, 
the one that has a frame of mind from the Spirit experiences life. He's living out resurrection life. He's living out eternal life because he doesn't say it is the life, it's just life. So it involves both of those, I would suggest. And it's peace, which is exactly what Jesus himself said, John 6, 32. In me you'll have peace. And this, this is how you have it in him. The Spirit directs you to your life in Christ Jesus. Get up there. You idiot, Tim. You're worried about what people are paying for a bottle of wine down here. You're never going to have peace fretting over the ridiculous amounts of money that people spend on stuff down here on this planet. You're not going to have peace focusing on that. So set your mind up there to who you are in Christ. And then the person sitting next to you can drink their $120 bottle of wine and you won't care. You won't care. It's just Really, I didn't plan on talking about any of that tonight over there. It just kind of came up in the course of conversation as we're going. I'm thinking, this is kind of a good lead into what the world does. This is why in the world there's adversity, because it gets you worked up. It puts pressure on you, which we're going to save all that for next week. Because if we started that at this time, we'd be going another 45 minutes, because there's a lot to talk about with the world. And uh, I don't think we're going to drag that out uh, there. We'd either have to rush through it or cut it in half or something like that. So we'll come back next week and we will look at um, the influence of the world and how the world works. And this is really interesting. And I'm not saying it's not out there. But there's a lot of things. I, you can pull stuff up. Like I, if you get on YouTube and you type in uh, my, a believer's position in Christ, you can find people that are teaching. In fact, I listened to a guy today, one, one teacher on YouTube that I listened to one one episode of his show. He's just sitting behind a desk. He's just talking. He's got an iPad down here. They talk. Pretty. You and I, I think, would probably would have agreed with 90% of what he was talking about. He talked about who we were in Christ, but he also talked about the world system. But you know what? He's the only teacher, even teachers I like to listen to, it was hard to find people that would actually talk about the struggle the believer has with the world system. Almost all the Christian YouTube videos on the world is either about how Christians can influence the world which this other teacher was saying, that's not what we're trying to do. Or, this is the world out there in the future when we get into the tribulation and all that kind of stuff. I just, and I'm not saying it's out there. It, I just maybe lost patience scrolling through videos looking for somebody that actually would go through and talk about the problem of the world system. But I think that that could, I'll be honest, I think that that kind of harkens back to um, like Robin's question on Sunday afternoon about why don't we hear more about who our, our position in Christ is? Well, because then it would be actually giving believers the, what they need to grow. And I think it's the same thing with the world system. Why isn't there more that actually talks about the problem and the struggle with, how, with the world system and how to relate to it properly? Because I think the world system is, is the most subtle of all three of our enemies. And every one of us in here struggles with it a lot more than we ever realize because we are constantly out there in that system. And uh, we're not going to go through everything on the world next week, but we are going to touch on a few things. So. But for you to know, as we already said, there's pressure, ag agitation, trouble in that system. Okay, does anybody have another question, comment? Just as a clarification, because you were talking nonstop today. Oh, I'm sorry. But, no, no, it's fine. Um, but this just seems way off topic now. Um, the group that Robin was talking about was not the Young Life Girls, because it would be expected they, that they hadn't heard anything. It was the women's group for New Life that she meets with yeah, each week. Oh, that, that's the group that she's talking yeah. about. Okay. So... I said new life, that yeah, was my fault. But 
But she, but it seems like what she was saying, she wasn't saying they don't hear, they don't hear that. I think what she's saying, you just don't see it out there. No, none of them have heard oh, it. Oh, oh, that they were saying that. Yeah. 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 She was talking about yeah. them and in general, she in feels general. like she I just mean, doesn't. Before coming and hang out with you guys yeah, the last you guys couple of years.
teaching us to focus on the wrong things rather than what is actually true by who God says we are in our position, you know? We had some great questions at Young Life this week. <coughs> Bree gave a, a short talk, and we decided as leaders that we would spend more time in discussion this next couple months. So we had some questions on our phone, and you, know, you could use those if you wanted to. You could, I mean, you could use those, but we just kind of let it go where it's going to go. And one of the kids ended up asking, and they asked such good questions, like, whoa, man, those are like hour-long answers. What, so, I, what did he ask? He, well, he, he asked this, he said, uh, my, my mom is very serious Catholic. What's the difference between a Catholic and a Christian? I think he even said a Mormon. It's like, that's a really good question, you know. And we were able to, again, walk through the gospel. I don't know if it clicked. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it comes down to what you believe. But there's so much, to your point, there's so much out there. It is, it's kind of pretty hard to wade through it all, you know, until you get solid on something and you walk by that wherever you choose, I guess. But uh, hopefully it's doable. Well, it happens through people like you being involved in their lives. I mean, that's every one of us. It's yeah. not like how many people open up a Bible and yeah. number one, get saved. And number two, I mean, it happens. Uh, number two, get taught the Christian life just from meeting, you know, it's it goes back to Ephesians 4, 6. Christ working through the members of the body and you being taught by Christ through members of the body of Christ. I mean, it's that's the reality. The wanting to serve, being serving. Well, you got to be able to be with other believers to put these truths into practice. You can't put them into practice the way it's intended all by yourself. You just, you know. Mm -hmm. I did, but I can't remember it right now. Yeah. 